concluding a study of 1 Corinthians, and we are in the 16th chapter, and we are wrapping it up in our study of verses 15 through 24. I know most people look at the conclusion of a letter as a see you later, hasta la bye bye thing. Um, but I believe that when you bracket this letter and this thinking with verse 14 and verse 24, then you see what I have entitled as love in the fellowship. Um, because the Corinthian church was definitely lacking in love. You cannot be puffed up, as the Apostle Paul calls them, and uh, be loving. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read our text and I'll bring everybody back up to speed and we'll look at verses 19 and first part of 20. Father, because our Savior lives, all fear is gone. And Father, I thank You that we've had an opportunity to minister with the Gideons. And I thank You, Father, that You have given us Your Word. And Father, I pray that we who are gathered here this day in Your name would understand just how precious a treasure Your Word truly is to Your people. Father, may Your Word take each person who is here and master them, not us master it. And Father, may we in all humility, love, and mercy embrace what You have given us. And Father, be overwhelmed with the privilege. To You and You alone, our King, may we walk in a manner worthy. May we fight the good fight. May we keep the faith. May we run the course that is set before us to your glory, to your praise. Amen. Verse 15, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, and that you also, being subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunaeus, Acarius, because they supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men as this. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is with my own hand, Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Real straightforward. I think a lot of times we are done reading and we just kind of go through this and we are missing what is being said here because he brackets this. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And he concludes it, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So anything that is framed there is framed between this love. And what we have looked at is that love in the fellowship, love in the body of Christ. And I shared with you, this is a love letter. All right, we all eagerly await love letters. Well, I hope. Well, we're supposed to. And when you have that love letter, you cherish it. But you get it, uh, love letters, they come in three different directions. 
You can have a love letter that is affirming. Okay? You can have a love letter that is questioning. And occasionally, you can have a love letter that is rebuking. And yet they are still all love letters. Right? Right? This is a love letter to the church in Corinth, and it doesn't have any affirming in it. Okay? You, you, you read it. You do not have to be a theologian. You do not have to be a Greek scholar. If you read these 16 chapters, you will say, I think he's mad at him. Okay? And if you read what the implications of what he deals with in the letter, you would say, he'd better be mad at him. Right? But he is questioning. Why are you doing this? I was there for 18 months. But yet you can see what he has done by framing it because he brings out there in verse 15, the household of Stephanus. Stephanus. Okay, the household is the household. Okay, that would be husband, wife, children, and slaves. So when salvation came into Stephanus' household, guess what? It was earth shattering. It rippled. It invaded. It overthrew the household of Stephanus. And it did it in such a way that he says, you can tell it by the second part of the verse. What? Their service. Literally, they, they were devoted. They were devoted to ministering to the saints. So you have evangelism because he was the first fruits of Achaia. First fruits, always keep this in mind, means that God's promising a harvest. All right, so you move that in and he says, all right, the household of Stephanus, this whole household is proof that God's getting ready to do something awesome here. And look at it because this household has done what? Devoted themselves. And if you look at that root word in the original language, it means to be addicted. It means if they weren't serving the saints, they would go into withdrawals. They were addicted. They were overwhelmed. This was an obsession of theirs. And he says, you know what? When you find somebody who's addicted to him, and then he moves into verse 16 there, and he says, you should be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and the labors. You need to put yourself under them and become hyper-addicted yourself. Why? Follow them. Follow them. When you see people living and preaching the gospel, hook your wagon to them. Because I hate to break the news to you, and this is a tragedy, there aren't that many. I know we like to think there is, but one of the things I have concluded in my mathematical skills, heaven ain't going to be crowded. Okay? That's not our responsibilities. It's His. We sow... And when you find a person who is laboring for the things of Christ, who's addicted, who will go into withdrawals if they are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to hook onto them people. You need to walk with them people. Why? Because at some point God will remove that person and it'll be your turn. You know, go look at 2 Timothy. Now, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Here's Timothy behind the scenes to the Apostle Paul's life. You don't see nothing. He's the errand boy. And now Paul says, you know what? My race is almost done. I'm a drink offering ready to be poured out. 
Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Why? What you see in me replicate. He said to the Philippians, I'm sending you Timothy. Why? Because it's just like me being there. That's amazing stuff. You know what we call that? Discipleship. Please, it's not mentoring. It's not apprenticeship. It's discipleship. It's people said, you know what? That guy or that lady is addicted to the serving of the body of Christ and I want to be like them. But then you have to submit. You have to submit. And I tell you what, when you start seeing this happen there, that move to the, the point four is companionship. Why? When you get around those people, they will refresh your spirit. Ask yourself a question. When you get into a group of Christians, are they refreshed by your presence? It's just a simple question. There are some Christians that you're thinking, oh, I would rather sit with Lucifer. I know you guys have never met any of them, but there are two or three of them out there. There are. There are people out there that are just not refreshing to be around. Right? I know. You guys have been blessed. I know you guys said we put up with you, don't we? (laughs) Oh, well. But there are Christians out there that are evangelistic. They serve the saints like they're addicted to it. They are in submission to those who are setting the pace and setting the path before them. And their companionship is refreshing. Is refreshing, which brought me to last week's message on respect and therefore acknowledge such men. You should pay attention to these people and you should give them the respect that is due them. I watched today, and this is almost a non... It's just not seen. If the pastor makes me mad, I'll kick his butt out. We'll get another one. And, I, and, and, and usually, if you look at it... Now listen, there's some pastors out there that need to get... To, Kicked out. I don't. I don't want to sway that. But I watch people very seldom surrender to the elders, the leadership of the body of Christ. Okay, I've literally had people tell me, "This is what I'll do for Jesus," and I do it in my most loving manner. He doesn't need you. Well, I can't believe you're going to be that way. You might want to go look in the mirror. Because I can't believe you would tell Jesus what you're willing to do when He hung on a cross for you. Okay, but you don't see it. I, I mean, I, I've been in this church now for... I don't know. Anybody know how long I've been here? <laughs> 20 years? Has it been 20 years? Senior pastor for 15 Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was doing so good. <laughs> right, we're done. <laughs> I'm out of here. I, I've seen it across the board. Why? People will come and tell me they've got it figured out and they don't need us. Or they don't need me or they don't need you. Or I don't, you know, I seen you the other day, preacher, and you were in a t-shirt. I, had, I remember a lady came to one of our Wednesday night Bible studies and I had just gotten done. Uh, wire in a house and I can't believe you're the pastor. You're wearing short short pants and a t-shirt. What kind of respect is that? I don't know. <laughs> Seems to work well. 
But you just get that. You know, I've had people who've left the church. You know what? I was walking downtown Castle Rock and you drove by and didn't wave at me. You don't want me trying to do two things at once. I could have waved at you and run over you. I don't understand this. I, well, yeah, but you don't do this. You know, uh, you don't have something for this kid or you don't have something for my young kids or my older kids. You know, you need a, 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 an older adult class. And I look at that and I think, well, but the body says that the young should be hanging out with the older so they don't make the same mistakes. I don't understand that. And the young said, well, I need a young married couple divorce recovery drinking class or something. Well, I listen to all of this stuff and I'm thinking they're going, this is silly. You know what? You, what you're talking about is government aid. What I'm talking about is eternal comfort. Well, you, you just don't understand you're not loving. Oh, yes, I am. I write my love letters either <laughs> in three classifications. Which classification do you want? Affirming? Questioning? Or rebuking. And yet it's still love. It's still love. And those people who walk in a manner worthy of our Lord and our Savior are to be respected. Which brings me to today. Verses 19 and 20. And I classify this as hospitality. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila. This New American Standard says Prisca. That would be Priscilla. Those of you who come out of King James, NIV, and some of the mothers. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house, and the brethren greet you. And when I read this, you know what? I've read this a few times. And, you know, every day for nine years. So that would classify as a few times. And, and as I continued to read it and to read it and to read it, it started to overwhelm me with the fact that the people were greeting the people in Corinth. Okay. Now let's be realistic. Read the first 15 chapters. The Corinthians were knuckleheads all right and yet the people where he's at now he's in Ephesus writing this letter back and he's saying these people these body of believers send you greetings there was a care have you ever thought about that in the body of Christ today Think about the church today in America. You know what? I am more welcomed when I walk into Russia than I am in some churches in America. <laughs> and I don't want to hear no smart remarks. <laughs> There's a reason. They don't know your, <laughs> your language. <laughs> um, they were being greeted, and he basically says, everybody is saying, hey! Hey! Everybody greets everybody. And if everybody greets everybody, then there's an openness. And that is gives way to the word hospitality. The word hospitality, you know it well. It's the word we get hospital from. But do you know what its root meaning is? The love of strangers. 
The love of strangers. You know what? I show up in Russia and there will be a group. Now, my train rides from Moscow to Orel overnight. And depending on whether I get the daylight ride or the nighttime ride, um, you know, it depends on when I get into Orel. I mean, it can be anything from seven o'clock in the evening or seven o'clock in the morning, depending on how I, <laughs> how I get hijacked. But when you take that, when you arrive in Russia, there's 35 or 40 people standing out there wanting to see you. And they give you, you got to watch a couple of these. They kiss in Russia. And what I mean is men kiss men in Russia. No, 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 no. It's not the little French thing. You know, one cheek, one cheek. If you ain't paying attention, you don't learn how to duck. <laughs> it's, oh my God, that shocked me. Because <laughs> I've gotten caught a couple of times and you sit there and go, well, welcome to the land of the whatever. Okay. Listen. If you are in the body of Christ, you are never an, a stranger. You are always accepted and you are always loved. All right? As a Christian, you know, listen, I don't know about you. I am, a, I am content by myself. Okay? Sometimes I'm happier by myself. <laughs> then maybe I should be. Okay? But I, I, you can call me a loner, you can call me whatever. That's the way I have just, I grew up. I mean, that was, that was it. You just, you, you know, if I want to sit and play by myself, I'll play by myself. I want to go do this, I'll do it by myself. I didn't, I didn't have to have entertainment around me. Okay? I, you know, I could sit and read a book, I could sit on a mountainside, I could, you know, whatever. And that, that always fascinated me. Why would you make me a pastor, Lord? You know, and, and I've made the joke here. We've got some visitors today, and don't take offense. I don't even like people. Okay, so why would I be a pastor? I mean, you know, well, what would you do on a desert island? Celebrate? <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> but, and, and I mean, I know that sounds... You're a pastor? That's what I say. I'm a pastor? But I know what I have to do will come through one source and it won't be me. Um, I'm not a people person. And yet, I look in the body of Christ and I look at you who I have labored with and you have labored alongside with me for so many years and we are family, we are open and we are pressing on for the upward calling of Jesus Christ. That's amazing to me. And you know what? I didn't sit out with all of you people to say, we should become friends. I watch people who do that. We are already there. We didn't sit down and say, today we will have a friend meeting. (laughs) You know, I don't know how they do it. Why? Because you who labor with me, we all have that same one thing going. We want the Word of God. And when we dig into that book, we become more and more unified as we dig. And it doesn't matter denominations. It doesn't. You know what? I got some Presbyterian friends that I would rather be chained to on Judgment Day than some Baptist friends. 
I have some non-denominational. That seems to be the big thing now. I'm non-denominational. Well, good. Okay, I know a guy who says we are independent. We are independent of everybody. We are so independent, we start our own denomination. And I was like, well, there you have it. But it used to be the reason that you've seen this morphing of, 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 of denominations historically is we all believe the same. Well, I don't work no more. But yet here in this text, you have assemblies of people. I mean, he's, the churches of Asia greet you. Can that not be Asia Minor? It would be what you know as Turkey, the northern part of Israel, uh, over into what you would know as Iraq. Um, all of that area is what they would call Asia Minor. And, and, and then he says, you know what, we even have some individuals, Aquila and Priscilla. You know them. They were there in your fellowship. You remember Aquila and Priscilla. They're the ones who mentored Apollos. Remember early in the book? I'm of Paul. I am of Apollos. Oh, yeah. Apollos' teachers on what is the depth of the gospel. And yet, you know what? All of the brethren greet you. You know what? The bulk of these people had never been to Corinth. If you go and look at the history of Corinth and understand what was going on in Corinth, many of these people would not go to Corinth because of what Corinth was noted for. So let's look at this. The churches of Asia. That's the providence of Asia Minor. All those churches send their love to the Corinthians in Achaia, another province in Rome. It would be like you and I sending our greetings to the brothers and sisters in Bozeman, Montana. Your brothers, your sisters, we labor together. This says something. Because if you go through the book of Acts, you will see that there's this wonderful love of one church to another church. We're here to help you. We're striving to help you. But there's a, this wonderful love. We need to notice it because there's a wonderful support. But I hate to think that we've lost this. See, there's a bond in the body of Christ. Whether you walk into Moscow or whether you walk into Tenement, Burma, or whether you walk into Punjab, India, or whether you're in Israel, or whether you're in Europe, wherever you're at, when you find people who exalt the Word of God and it becomes their life, then there's a oneness. And I don't have to manufacture it. You know, I used to, and I struggled with this, used to be that doctrine divides. You know what I've learned? That's not true. Doctrine unites. But the problem is, the church in America, I heard this word yet again a week ago, has become so haughty that we're not even willing to reason together over scriptures. You know, I have people, and I brought this up in my Sunday school class, and, 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 and people will say, well, Terry, are you a Calvinist? 
And I always give them the same answer. What verse? Give me a verse. Because, you know what, I love history. I know it's a shortcoming, a flaw in my character. But I love history, and I know a lot about John Calvin that most people don't know about his life. When John Calvin died, you know what his request was? Put only on my tombstone, I live for the glory of God. You know what's amazing about that? Some guy named Thomas Jefferson wanted to buy his college in Geneva, Switzerland and bring it and move it to the United States because the educational standard at Calvin's College was so massive on such a strong foundation, we need to replicate it. Not bad for an old preacher, huh? He raised his two nieces and nephews because his brother was a drunk. He had three kids of his own and he had to raise them by himself because his wife died. He had exquisite joy with kidney stones. That's, what he's called. That's how he wrote it. This is exquisite. I'm like, yeah, no doubt. Okay? And he preached six times a day, taught in the seminary, and taught in a college. Not bad considering he didn't have fluorescent lights to help his view. As in the 1500s. Anybody here read the King James? King James was presented to a guy named Prince James. It was presented by a guy named John Knox, who had studied at seminary where? In Geneva. Under who? John Calvin. Guess where John Knox got his translation of the Bible? John Calvin. John Calvin took the original languages, whether it be the Hebrew or the Greek, translated it into English. I've seen the Bible. Sucker is about that wide, about that tall, and about that thick, and it's got wood that you. And I got to see this thing, and in the front of it, it says, presented to Prince James in 1553 by John Knox. And you see down at the bottom, translated by John Calvin. Well, but you're a Calvinist. No, I'm a Biblicist. Gee, many crickets. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? How can you take a man who has nothing but a love and adoration for the Word of God and I'm just not lining up with that guy? Good idea. Because you only have one other alternative. And yet we have people like that in amongst us right now that we are, do we respect them? Do we spend time with them? Do we try to submit ourselves to it? Why? Because there's a hospitality here. Why? I have a love for strangers. Strangers. And like my wife would tell you, I'm not a people person. The bond from one church to the other can only exist when both or more are pure to doctrine. What does the Bible say? Are you a Calvinist? Are you a, the big thing is reformed? Well, I thought if you weren't Catholic, you were. Whom? 
<laughs> oh, no, we're getting too smart for our own good. I had a friend of mine who was Indian, Native American, and she had the ability to take the brains of an elk and mix up some kind of mess and, and tan the whole hide of an elk. An elk's got a lot of skin on it, in case you didn't know. And she says, we're just like elk. And I was like, okay, here we go going spiritual. She says, nope, we've got enough brains to tan our own hides. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, another church that is teaching the word will be like-minded. That's what happened to us when we went into Russia. They didn't want Americanism. They didn't want, you know, what do you got for Bible studies? Teach us. If I'm going to do a youth ministry, how do I take the Bible and give it to kids? If I'm going to take uh, school, elementary school, how do I give it to kids? I remember waking up one morning and your body clock is all off. And I looked out and all these lights were on in the fellowship hall of this little church. And I thought, what in the world is going on down there? And I mean, it was about four o'clock in the morning and it was like March and everything there is that snow everywhere. Okay, so I thought, well, I better go see what's going on. So I walked down there and it's all these kids, youth, all these youth. And so my interpreter was one of them, and I said, uh, uh, what's up? He says, everybody's preparing before they go to school. And I said, what are they preparing for? He says, the senior high kids are teaching or helping the junior high kids learn to memorize Galatians before school. You should bring your youth over. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> Why? Do we do that? I mean, our young people say, well, I'm young and, you know, the older people don't know what they're doing. I mean, I get into trouble from pastors. You don't use a computer to write your sermons? No. I don't. Why not? <laughs> You've seen me type? <laughs> I had one of them voice things that you could talk in and it made fun of the way I talked, so I quit using it. <laughs> I see the church today You know, I, I have brothers and sisters, the guys that we labor with um, in uh, Russia are, one's Presbyterian, we don't let him go teach on baptism. Um, the rest of them are IFCA, we've got a couple of them, what do they call them, independent Baptists and all the rest of it, and yet we all sit down and anytime we all get together as a group, you know what we're focused on? Scripture. Scripture, and if we have a disagreement about it, and we've almost got the, the Presbyterian into baptizing, but I'm thinking he'll have a conflict. But anyway, it's just stuff like that you've got to ask yourself about. See, where there is right, where there's true doctrine, there will be right living, and there will be communion in the assemblies. You don't have to manufacture. I don't have to have a small group or have a, a you know, a, a, what do they call it? A Super Bowl party for the church or any of that other stuff. It's already there. It's already there. I've had people leave. It says, well, Terry, every time we come there, all you do is teach the Bible. Well, you want me to teach you how to wire a house? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I can show you how to change a back tire on a Sportster. That ought to come in handy. Where the word is, the group will have um, a unity and it can't be torn apart. Okay? See, 
I watch people in the church today, and, and I watch people every. I, I get stuff probably daily on how to grow the church. All right, you know, do this, and we got this system, we got this plan, we got this, blah, 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 whatever. And what I've learned is, I, you can place it however you want to. The more people you have, you know what? The more problems you have. I mean, that sounds kind of cynical, but Jesus was doing good when he had the 12 and then it grew to a few hundred and it got a little testy at times. You're not feeding us. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I've learned about the body of Christ is there's no mine in it. This is not my church. Oh, by the way, it ain't your church. And it's Christ's church. And he has given each of us the privilege to be a part of it. So we all press on to train and sin. Why? For such a time as this. You are here for such a time as this. You came to this fellowship for such a time as this. And you know what? You may walk out here saying, you know what? He preaches too long. It preaches. It's too hot. It's too cold. I doubt if it's too cold, but you know, he's, you know, he's, he's, he talks like a hillbilly. Well, I should. Shucks. <laughs> Listen, I am convinced of this one thing. I believe God likes little churches. I think God likes little churches more than he likes big churches. Because there's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There might be there's a theology there. Church should be known as a supportive, affirming, loving community of people that are accepting even to strangers. That's what he's saying here. The churches of Asia greet you. Why? Because we know that your foundation was by the Apostle Paul, which sort of would have been a guy of the word. All right. He was there for 18 months. He put into place leadership. And we know that you're struggling there. But we still greet you because we know that at some point, the truth, you will stop and say, hey, that's what it says. One assembly to another assembly, and they were committed to the word of God. I mean, that's what Paul gives. See, it's love between the churches. That's part of hospitality. Remember, uh, some of you here on a Sunday night, we had a group of young ladies uh, from British Columbia attending a, a Christian school up in British Columbia, and they were, had some car problems, and, and they came in, and they said, you know, and, and you get these here, and, and our, Castle Rock is, is a transit place, so you get people coming in and asking the church for new transmissions and stuff like that. You think I'm kidding you. <laughs> um, they came and said, well, our cars broke down and they'd taken it to Medved and they're going to fix the radiator and all the rest of it. And um, can we stay in the basement? And I forget, was it eight or nine of them? Eight, eight of them, eight of them. And uh, I just looked at them and, and they're all girls. And I said, well, uh, you know, we're kind of in Bible study right now. Can we come to the Bible study? You know what amazed me about it? All eight of them, guess what? Had their Bibles with them. Freaked me out. All right, so we ended up actually getting them some rooms over it so that 
We said, we ain't got no showers here. And, you know, I don't want to be sexist or nothing, but I believe that all of you women should take a shower before you get back on the road. And you can stay there till noon and whatever. Um, and, and it was kind of cool. But then we get a card from them. And what I was teaching on, I couldn't tell you. Uh, had to have been something. Oh, it was on sanctification, wasn't it? And 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 she and one of the young ladies sent me her email address and said, "Would you send me some more information? I needed to hear that message probably more than I needed a place to spend the night." But see, we accepted them based on the fact that they loved the Lord, and you could tell it. You could tell it. Second pe people you see here is Aquila and Priscilla. Um, <clears throat> Aquila came from the lived on the south coast of the Black Sea place called Pontus, and he moved to Rome, and there he fell in love with Priscilla. And they lived in Rome until Claudius, the emperor, um, banned all Jews from Rome. Now everybody says, well, how do you know all that? Book of Acts. <laughs> it's kind of strange, but it's in there. Um, so they got run out of uh, Rome, but Corinth was called a free city. And so they moved to Corinth and they began attending a synagogue there and working their trade. By the way, their trade was leather workers. Okay? In a synagogue, whatever your trade was, was the group you sat with. You'd have all the leather workers over here. You'd have the bankers over here. You'd have the whatever over here. And in a synagogue, that's how, how they did it. Not, not understand the women were not allowed to be a part of that, but... Uh, the, the men, all the tradesmen, whatever your trade was, you sit together. Well, there was another guy who was a leather worker, and he would sit down with Aquila, and his name was Paul. All right? And they became friends and were there for 18 months. During that time, another guy, a very eloquent speaker, came cruising along. His name was Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos to try to explain to him their deeper deepness of the gospel and not necessarily taking it what is the foundation in the Old Testament and how it is here and it is now fulfilled. And they taught him more understanding. And now we find to do that, you have to get involved with somebody. You know what they call that? Love to strangers, hospitality. But now in this text, we find out that Aquila and Priscilla's hospitality has now mushroomed to the point of having a church in their house. Brothers and sisters, you've never been so blessed to go to a church in Russia and preach because bulk of them are in somebody's house. And they move all the furniture out of the living room they put up a little bench that you can lay your Bible on and they'll all come sit on the floor if they have to. But you'll see them afterwards and before going into the kitchen and they make these things. I don't know what they are. They look like raviolis. I doubt if that's what they are, but they're really good. And then they want to feed you. I watched a lady I preached on uh, Revelations 21, the coming king. And this lady wept the whole time. And I thought, the either interpreter ain't getting it right or something here just ain't happening. And she said she had never comprehended it until I preached that message. And she says, I have no money to give you. And walked up and gave me a bag of eggs. She said, that's all I have. 
but I was received as a brother. As a brother. Do you know that we used to hate each other, the Americans and the Russians, and we're going to blow each other off the planet? It's kind of weird, huh? I went with a guy who had his doctorate, and uh, he had been on a nuclear carrier. And the guy that I was discipling I had been on a nuclear submarine that used to shadow our carriers. And these two guys hit it off like amazing. Why? But they were both interested in the Bible. Hmm. See, it, that is that bond that comes when you sit and reason together from the Scriptures. See, that's real hospitality. A Christian traveling from one place to another, there's an openness. There's an openness. And yes, it even goes to your house. Look what he says here. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church. That would be the congregation of people that are in their house. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you. All the brothers greet you. There's a sense of which everybody in the house is open to every other believer. It goes back a ways. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 33 says, Receive a stranger, love him as your own family. Wide open Christian homes. Some Christians don't want to let strangers in because maybe they'll find out some things about their Christianity. You know, I've had people come and live with us multiple times, uh, families. Um, I helped raise my niece and nephew. I've had other people who've moved across the United States and somehow ended up in my driveway. And, and um, you know, everybody says, well, what do you, well, there's the cupboards, there's the, there's the bathroom, there's the couch, there's, you know, park it. And I don't think you understand for a person who's a non-people person, do you understand what that's like? That's like somebody running around in your house scratching their fingers on the chalkboard. You know. I even find it today, I spend a lot of time out in my garage. The two are not related. And, you know, people come hang out and stand there and look at me. Our houses should be open. Our lives should be transparent. Not just the pastor or the elder or the deacons. It should be every child of God. You should be able to take your house and whoever shows up that is in need, here it is. Do we have that? Do we have that? Too many churches today is, are, are kind of what I call stare at the back of the heads. You know, I, you know, I know what the back of your head looks like. Why? That's my involvement. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, <clears throat> tells us what to do with widows. Widows have to be, they have some qualifications. Have to be over 60 years of age. And once they get to that position, you have to put them on an unavailable list. You know what that means, right? You can't get married. Okay, why? Because you are to serve the church now. 
Okay, so you can't get married because you're going to serve the church. But there are some conditions that you have, that this widow, you know, she says, all right, I don't want to get married again and I want to serve the church. Let me ask you some questions. Were you t- totally devoted to your husband? Did you wash the feet of the saints? Oh, yeah. Did you love strangers? Because now you're on the list. You go to Russia right now. Did I tell you about this? I think I told you about this. I went to Russia. I went to a pretty good-sized church. And down in the fellowship hall, the basement of the thing, and they had this really odd-shaped building. It has these funny corners. And they had these great big piles of, of, of we called them feather beds. I don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, praise God. But uh, they had these feather beds, and I kept thinking, you know, because at first I thought it was a pile of blankets. And what it was was the widows. The widows would live in the church, and they clean the church. And I mean, and they cooked for the church, and they do all of this stuff all the time. And, you know, and the guy said, I said, well, what are they? He said, well, that's the widows. Are we supposed to do that? That's what he looked at me. You, are we supposed to do that? Yeah, yeah, sure do. But they lived in a church. They were on the list. They were devoted to their husband. They had washed the feet of the saints. They had loved strangers. Therefore, they were in these basements sleeping on these big feather beds. What you see here in this text is the quality of people and how they had a love for strangers. What you see in the text out of 1 Timothy 5 is how they have a love for strangers. That is the quality of the person. You can see life manifest in them. Christ manifested in their lives. See, our lives should be open. Our lives should be loving. Our lives should be accepting. That's what he's telling them here. Check out the churches of Asia. You remember Priscilla and Aquila. You remember all of the brethren. Then you will have this phrase, this thought. Wait a minute. Aren't you setting yourself up to be taken advantage of? Yeah, it's going to happen. I've seen it. See, in the early church, you had to have homes. If you were a Christian traveling, you did not want to stay in an inn. Okay, it wasn't like you were going to go to Holiday Inn. Okay, um, there was a common saying for travelers in the Middle East and the, the, the belly of Europe. Uh, and this is a quote. Do you know an inn that only has a few fleas? Unquote. Okay. There was a, a caricature story uh, called The Reckless Wild Man. And one of the quotes from this story was, This man was bad enough to run an inn. Okay. You know, when we think about Jesus Christ being born in a stable, not a place in the inn, I'm thinking that was a good thing. Just an idea. Inns and brothels were synonymous. Okay? Um, if you wanted prostitution, you would go to the inn. If you wanted to avoid prostitution, you would probably stay in a home. Okay? The characteristics of the Christians was their homes were open. When Jesus sent the 70 out, He sent them to who? Homes. And he said, and if they don't accept you, what? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. There is always in the body of Christ an openness and a hospitality. Always. 
Christianity is not an institution. Christianity is a life. It's living. We are involved. Listen, I got news for you. I love you guys. Do you know that we have to spend eternity together? We might as well get used to each other. I don't understand that. You might as well get to know me now. Because I will be in heaven. <laughs> I want to ask you, is your home open? To your neighbors, your friends, family? How about anybody in need? The question is, where does it end? I thought you'd never ask. I have a text. I have a text. When do I quit being hospitable? Okay? Comes out of Second John. 7 through 11. This is context. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves. Okay? Drop on down to verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching. What teaching is that? That Christ came in the flesh. All right? Anyone goes too far, does not abide in the teachings of Christ. You know what that means, right? They don't read their Bibles. They're not involved in the church. Or, you know, doing it their own way type stuff. Okay. Does not abide in this. Does not have God. And the one who abides in this teaching both has the Father and the Son. Anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house and do not even give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Gosh, that sounds harsh. No, it's false teachers. False teachers, a false prophet, receive no hospitality from the saints. Our Christianity is to be transparent. Do you understand that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it talks about an elder in the church? You know, the husband of one wife, um, uh, you know, uh, blameless in the community and all the rest of it. You know the one that we always keep missing? Given to hospitality. If you're a leader in the church, guess what? You're given to hospitality. There's a love for strangers. That's the term. It's a love for strangers. Early church met in homes. It's just like Russia today. It's just like some of you do today. Some of you have your homes open and they come and you get all these yahoos showing up. Why? If you go through the book of Acts, Acts 12, they met in homes for prayer. Acts 21, they met in homes for fellowship. Acts 2, they met in homes for communion. Acts 20, they met in homes for worship. In Acts 20, also they met in homes for teaching. In Acts 10, they met in homes for evangelism. In Acts 18, they met in homes to follow up, to encourage. In Acts 5, they met in homes for preaching. In Acts 28, they met in homes for discussion. Right, church in America would be completely lost. I was reading about a guy named R.C. Chapman. He's from the Nazarenes. Okay. Charles Spurgeon says R.C. Chapman was the most godly person he's ever met in his entire life. He brought people into his homes from other denominations as long as they preached the word that were missionaries and needed a place to stay. They were in London. And he said, stay. How long? As long as you need. He got ready. He took over a church that was, shall we call it, in turmoil. 
And he took that church, there was about a hundred and a half in it, and he took that church and grew it to 5,000. And the ones who had left got mad and came back and said, you need to move, we spent money for this church. You know what his response was? He moved the 5,000 and on Sunday mornings, he would have them clustered into groups at their houses. And he'd go in and preach a sermon at this house. He'd go in and preach a sermon at this house. And this 5,000? He had a busy Sunday. You know what's scary about that? In the three years time, three years time that he had to do that, it grew to 10,000 people. And they put an offer on a piece of property and another church came in and said, well, we were going to buy it. He withdrew his offer so that that church could have that piece of property. That's hospitality. However you cut it. However you cut it. And the whole time he has missionaries coming in and out of his place so he is never ever alone Hmm. Acts chapter 2 it says that the disciples went from house to house teaching preaching fellowshipping see a love and openness see if there's love in the fellowship there's going to be evangelism if there's love in the fellowship there's going to be service if there's love in the fellowship there will be submission there will be companionship that refreshes the soul And there will be respect for those that you see who are addicted to the things of Christ. And there will also be a love for strangers. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The amazing things you continue to do with us, through us. Father, I pray for us. We who have heard these words. We who have looked at your text. We who have bowed to your spirit. Father, that we would be known by our love for one another and for strangers. Thank you, my Father. Thank you for the privilege you've given me in looking at your word, absorbing your word. Father, I pray that you will put a hunger in my precious brothers and sisters this day to be overwhelmed. Father, may we be known for our hospitality. May we be known our respect for those who labor for you. May we be known for refreshing companionship. Father, may we be known and submitted to those who are addicted to serving you. May we be known for our own addictive service to you. And may we be known for reaching the lost in such desperate times, desperate needs. Help us, Father. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. To your glory and praise. Amen.